A vision without execution is just a dream. Welcome to Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. Like the show title says, Chris speaks with transformative experts and business leaders who share their successes, failures, and leadership tips that will help you transform your business into a success story. Now, here's your host, Chris Elias. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Transformative Experts. Today, I have with me Dr. Nicole Lipkin, or Nicole, as, as we're gonna we're gonna keep it on a first name basis here today. Uh, Nicole is the CEO of Equilibria.com, and uh, she'll she'll tell us more about that. And then also the founder of um, a really cool little website, HeyKiddo.com. It's H-E-Y dash K-I-D-D-O dot com. Um, we'll talk about all of this, but we always like your your stories as well. So, Nicole, welcome. Thanks for being with us this morning. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. I'm really excited to be on. Well, it's good to have you. So, um, you know, as, as we've mentioned, as you know from the show, we, we always start with a little bit of a story. You know, what makes you an expert? You know, what were the aspects of your life that brought you to where you are today? So how did you get into all this clinical psychology stuff? I mean, this is this is a big field today. <laughs> Oh, man. I, I mean, to be honest with you, I wanted to be an actress and a dancer, but I chickened out and became a shrink. <laughs> so, I mean, that was my career path. But my brother's an actor. I'm like, all right, one of us has to have a one of us has to have a more guaranteed career. So I shifted and, you know, I, I, I went to grad school and I had. I had a lot of interest in grad school. So when I was in grad school, I got my doctorate, I got my MBA and I got my master's in criminal justice because I really, I was really um, into forensic psychology and uh, totally based on the X-Files. I had a, I had a crush on David Duchovny. I wanted to be his partner. And so I wanted to go into the FBI. That was my plan. So that's what I was going to do. But I had this, um, I had this business bug inside of me. Because my um, my parents were school teachers in the South Bronx, and they raised us in New York, and in Westchester, New York. And you can't you can't you can't raise kids on a school teacher's <laughs> salary in Westchester, New York. So they also every weekend we would go sell jewelry at flea markets and antique shows because my grandfather was a jeweler. Wow. And um, so you know, while other kids were watching Saturday morning cartoons we were up at like four or five in the morning being dragged <laughs> to flea markets and antique shows to sell. So when I was five and my brother was 11, my, my parents sat us down and said, stop complaining. It's enough. What business do you want to be in? We're like toys. Cause we were kids. So they gave us 400 bucks. They took us down to the wholesale district in Manhattan. We picked out our inventory. My dad was a math teacher. He taught us how to keep the books and how to, how to manage our inventory. My mom was an English teacher and an artist. She taught us how to like write our signs and like hold ourselves. My grandfather was the world's best salesman. He taught us how to sell. So I was in business since I was five. So I had this business bug too. So when I went to grad school, I had these dual interests and I, I landed early on in my career in forensic psychology based on the internships I had. And I, um, I worked for several years as a friend, forensic psychologist, and I specialized in, in, in working with sex offenders and white collar crime, um, being, doing expert testimony, assessment and treatment. And I actually loved, loved the work. And that, that prepared me to do what I do today more than my MBA, more than, more than the clinical degree, more than the organizational psych stuff. Yeah. Um, really, because that is about getting to the root of what's going on and then figuring out a plan. So I did, I was a forensic psychologist for years and um, over the years, and I, and I built my first business 
Um, and then I decided I was, I was feeling pretty burnt out from doing that work. The, the work itself was great and invigorating, invigorating, invigorating. I can't speak right now, but it was just, uh, it was just really tough. It eventually gets to you. So I shifted um, and was like, okay, let me shift out of traditional clinical and forensic psychology into organizational psychology. Sure. And so I made that, I made that shift um, 2007, 2009, and I've been doing it ever since and, and have never looked back. Love it. That, that's excellent. <laughs> you know, it has to, it has to weigh heavy. I, you know, as somebody who's not in that field, I wonder how people can do it from time to time. You just hear those horrible, horrible stories one after another, and you bear that burden. You do, you bear the burden, but I will tell you, one of the things is that you really can impact change. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be in this field as an organizational psychologist, even if I didn't feel like I can impact change sure. or affect change. And you really can make a huge difference and help people change the course of their lives. Not everyone, but enough people um, that when you start seeing that, it, 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 that burden that you carry becomes worth it. Um, but I couldn't imagine doing it for a lifetime. So that was a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, so is getting into the, the organizational side of it, what is, what does that actually look like? I mean, you know, not a lot of companies have worked with organizational psychologists and, 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 you know, some are just now figuring out this whole, you know, that there is this emotional intelligence thing, whatever that is. I mean, I, I mean, I hear some of the craziest things out there. And it's like, wow, where have you been? You know, where, where's your head been? But you know, what is it, what does it look like from your standpoint then? Yeah. I mean, so the kind of, the kind of, the kind of work I do, I do executive coaching, I do leadership development, I do team development, I do culture work. And and the reason why I think it's so beneficial being a psychologist doing this work is, you know, the bottom line is until the robots take over, we're humans working Mm -hmm. with each other. Right. So we really need to figure out how humans work together and the human behavior and human dynamics. And that, and that's, that's what I bring to the table. That's, that's what I know inside and out. So I think, you know, when you're working with, with companies and teams or individuals, really helping people, there's no one secret sauce, like follow these steps and everything's going to be fine. It's really helping people figure out their own psychology, what makes them tick and what makes them groove with people and helping and understanding a little about about group dynamics and organizational dynamics. So we can groove better with one another. I mean, the truth is if we all, understood our own psychology a little bit better and understood how to groove one, with one another a little bit better, we wouldn't freak out so much when we stepped on each other's feet. And this world would be a little bit of an easier place to live in. Yeah, it would be. I mean, there's, there's certainly, there's a lot and a lot of emotional, a lot of emotions flying today, not just obviously in the oh, workplace, yeah. but everywhere. Everything's so charged. So charged, so charged. And it's tapping in. I mean, just like basic psychology one-on-one, like the the negativity, the emotional contagion, the, 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 that kind of heavy feel that we're all, that we're all experiencing kind of going through COVID the past couple of years and the impact that that's had on our brains, just the grief, the loss, the ambiguity, the constant change and how we impact one another emotionally that, you know, I always talk about it as an emotional footprint. Mm-hmm. Um, just the, the power we have in managing our own emotional footprint. But when we don't, the impact that that can have on other people and ourselves it's just really intense right now. And we're in that kind of loop. Yeah, we, we are. I mean, you know, uh, Susan Scott says a lot about being aware of your emotional wake, right? I mean, there, there's this, this, this trigger. And, and years ago, I, I had the opportunity to meet um, a psychiatrist uh, named Ro, uh, Rosamond Zander. 
And uh, her husband, it was really kind of an interesting thing. Her husband um, at the time was a conductor for, I don't know if it was like the Boston Pops or it was one, one, one of the big, one of the big orchestras. And mm-hmm. um, they, they came, they spoke at a conference and then I had the opportunity to actually sit down with them afterwards. Very, very interesting because she had done all this research and um, this is probably 20 years ago now. She had done all this research on what she called the downward spiral, the, the kind of the, the way that, that negativity becomes kind of this contagion almost. Right. And, yeah. and that the people kind of, kind of, pile on and 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 her premise was that you know we're kind of wired to this negative bias anyway it's how we how we how we protect ourselves and it's so much easier to get into the negative conversations than it is to look for the positive because the negative is about griping and complaining and the positive requires you to do something about it Mm -hmm. yeah and it's also when you look at when you look at, you know, we, we, we talk more about the negative, we complain more about the negative, we use more, you know, kind of more intense adjectives when we're describing things. And so we naturally hold on to it more. And, you know, it's interesting, this, this concept of how we infect one another, you know, like emotions aren't that sexy, they're just neurological firings, right? right. So we mimic one another. So that's why, you know, when, when you're around someone who's depressed, or like a real negative person on your team, you start feeling like crap around that person. But when you're around like an upbeat person, not the annoying happy people, but like, you know, a relatively positive <laughs> upbeat person, you yeah. feel good. It's like, this is, you know, we're, we're just, when you smile, it's setting off this physiological process to trigger that emotional center in your brain that creates that feeling of happiness. And it happens that quickly, but lately we've all been kind of feeling heavy because we're taxed and it makes sense. So we're kind of like dealing with a global contagion right now. So it's so easy. It's so easy to fall into that trap and like what that psychiatrist was talking about. So, you know, you, you mentioned so taxed. Is it, is it just that, I don't even know how to ask this question. Does it take more energy to be positive? Is it just easier to be negative when, when, when the stress is there? Is, is that a more natural state then? Yeah, well, I think I think that's that's a really interesting question. Look, the status quo is our natural state. So if you're generally someone when when you kind of like when you start consuming things, like if you go through your your news feed, right, and you start seeing like all the negative stuff piling up, it has a greater impact. And it, and again, like I said, we hold on to it more. We talk about it more. We're like, "Oh my god, did you see this? Did you see that?" Right. So we process it more we process it more than we often process positive things. So in a way, it's much easier for us to fall into that negative trap just because we process it more than, than positive, um, positive stuff. So it is pushing your brain out and forcing your brain to do something that's going to make it feel good. And, and I will say there's tricks to that. Like even if you're finding yourself in a trap, even just watching a puppy video or a kitten video or a baby video or like a comedy thing for two minutes can make a difference. Even, you know, this trick, I forgot who, I forgot which um, psychologist talked about this, but even if you put a pen in your mouth and bite it for a minute, because you're forcing your mouth to smile, yeah, triggers, it helps your body calm down a little bit. It's interesting. I, I there was a research study years ago, and I and I've leveraged this in some of my conversations, where they took um, they took two groups of people, and they did this multiple times. And this was now about problem solving and the and the creative mm-hmm. part of the mind. And what they would do is they take group A would watch um, 
would watch, uh, you know, 20 minutes of a film segment that was meant to to trigger an adrenal response, right? To, to get the adrenaline going. So it could be, it could be an action film, but it could also be a tear jerker or something really scary. Group yeah. B would watch 20 minutes of a comedy. And then they mm-hmm. were both posed with the same problem to be solved. Both groups were And the group that, that, that um, saw the comedy solved the problem anywhere from two to five times faster every single time. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, like we know this, like when you're, when your brain is in a positive state, you, you, you feel better, you function better, you're open, you're more open, you're negative. It's kind of like it's tunnel vision. Yeah. It, it, it becomes really hard to take in that information. And, you know, what's so crazy about this is when your sleep is impacted, mm-hmm. like our, we store negative and positive memories in different parts of our brain when our sleep is impacted. And most of us, not most, I don't know how many, but a lot of people struggle with sleep. Like that's often the first thing to go when you're stressed. It, it almost like suffocates where your positive stuff is stored. And that's why when you, when you suffer from some sleep deprivation, you often feel worse. You often are depressed or just feeling sad or icky or more agitated. There's such a connection, but that is often when we're feeling stressed, one of the first things to go are our sleep hygiene. And I always recommend like at a sleep diet and exercise, that should be the first thing you look at. Cause man, when your mood is off, everything else is off. Yeah. You know, I've, I've heard that actually about a lot of things. I've got a neighbor who, um, who is, um, a nutritionist and really, you know, he's a, a doctor who focuses on that. And he's even said that, um, that when your sleep patterns of off, off, it just affects everything, your stress right. levels, it affects your body weight. It, it just, there's, there's so much stuff. And it just seems like in all this, again, negativity today, you know, um, you know, we've got COVID, we've got, you know, wars, we've got a, a, a political climate that is just out of control. We've got, you know, religious factors. I mean, all this stuff is coming into play. And I don't know how it is that not everybody in this country is for is facing at least some level somewhere on the spectrum of, of depression. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's so it's so intense right now. You know, it's funny, my husband. <laughs> Yeah, this actually just happened the other night. I start, despite the fact that I know this stuff, I, I fall into the same oh, yeah. patterns that yeah. everyone does. I was starting to like consume my news right before bed. Like just looking at headlines, I'd be like, oh my God, did you see this? Like, and, and reading and the articles I click on, there's obviously AI associated with it. It kept on like filling my feed with the most horrible things in the world because right. I'm looking at them. And I'd be like, oh my God, did you hear about this? And he's like, you're, you're, you're literally killing me. And then my sleep was affected. Like I was doing this and I, you know, I'm now not allowed to put my phone by my night, my night table. It's banned. Well, you know, (laughs) you're not the first person. I myself have, have gone on certain, you know, self-imposed bands of, of news for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, you know, I I get pulled into it also in conversations here about, you know, well, did you hear about this? Do you know what's going on there? And, and it's, it's, it gets harder to even weed out the truth. And so actually I, I'd love to, I want to stay on this, this stream of consciousness for yeah. a little while longer. We're, um, we're coming up on our first break though. So we, yeah. we, we need to, we need to stop for just a couple minutes. Everybody stay sure. tuned and I'll be back with Nicole in just about 30 seconds or so. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture, co-written by your host, Chris Elias. Make your company smarter, faster, and stronger with real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. The Execution Culture, available now on Amazon. Keep the conversation going. Follow your host on Instagram at Chris Elias Official and on Facebook and Twitter at the Chris Elias to discuss your own business transformations and get real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. See you there. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Nexecute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. Take the next step and give us a call for a free consultation with your host, Chris Elias. 888-378-8808. That's 888-378-8808. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back with Nicole Lipkin. So we're, we're talking about kind of like this kind of national depression and, and some of the other things that are going on. And, um, you know, again, if you're listening to this show as a podcast later on, not listening to it live, um, you know, we're recording this in the middle of, of COVID among many, many other things that are going on. Um, I, I guess, you know, I look at it and, and you know, all the news stories that, that, that come out, it seems as though that nobody even wants to report good news. I mean, I like you said, you know, the, the feeds start, putting all the bad news up, but it, it seems to me like everybody's trying to top each other on who can put the worst news out there. Yeah, that's, that's what it feels like. That's actually a really good, that's actually a really good point. I don't, and well, the thing is, is I think we have, you know, because everyone has this kind of COVID brain right now and no, everyone has it. Yeah. I don't care who we are. We all have it. I think we're also more susceptible right now, especially right now. Cause it's like, you know, it's interesting with COVID. I like to like relate it to a car accident. You get into a car accident and you know, your adrenaline, your hormones spike up, your, you know, your body, your parasite, your, 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 your nervous system goes into action. It's only after your system comes down that you feel the excruciating pain emotionally and physically. And the same thing's kind of happening now. Like even though Omicron, um, you know, started increasing, we, we finally had this moment where we could hug one another and see one another. Right. Yeah. And so it's like our systems kind of chilled for a minute and that's when the excruciating pain settled in the mental health issues, the struggling. And even if it wasn't severe enough to call it a mental health issue, like the depression, the stress, the anxiety, like well, ex- experiencing stuff. So collectively, collectively, like globally, I think we're all more receptive to negativity right now right. because we're feeling it. Our systems are just like, what is going on? We need a break. Well, and, and we're not getting it right. And so what's no, happening is, 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 you know, people, and, and I know a lot of people are translating to like, we're never going to get out of this. And, you know, if, if you look at the science, you look at COVID in particular, but there's so many other things, you know, you look at the science of it and 
it's it's like anything else. At some point, hopefully, we learn to live with it and cope, and we right. develop coping me- mechanisms and move towards more positive ways of behaviors. And you know, you do what you can to prevent it and get it over. The political situation a little bit trickier because it, you know the the rhetoric is just it it doesn't exist. It's it's it depending on whatever side you're on, everybody else is wrong, and right. there's there seems to be no no middle ground and. I don't know how we get beyond it, but but it does have such a, a, a an impact on all of us, and of course, then we bring it to work, right? Of course. And and so it's now you've got those situations. I, every one of my clients, you know, um, right now. Well, what do we do? You know, mask mandate, vaccine mandate. Do we do we have to have people vaccinated? Do we fire people who aren't? I mean, you know, and it's all these ridiculous kind of things that that maybe we wouldn't have thought twice about before, but now. It's it's so sensitive, and then you, you you pile on that all the other things that are going on. So as somebody who's in the profession, right, you're yeah. you're seeing all these behaviors. You know how do you how do you help some of these people get through this? How do you help them get get working together again? Yeah, I mean it's such a, it's such a great question, and I think um, you know I, I it's. So I I would say first and foremost, because the leaders and the leadership teams that I've been working with, like they often go unnoticed how much stress is on their shoulders and for everyone there is, but just being, being responsible for other people's financial livelihood and the financial livelihood of the company and the future of the company and the, the, the publicity of a company, having that all be on your shoulders (laughs) is so in, 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 in a time when no one knows what the rules are and they keep on changing and there's no clear path or we've done this, but we've done this before we know how to navigate it. The, the, the pressure is extreme. And I think first and foremost, just acknowledging that the pressure is extreme is super important because I think one of the things in all this negativity, one of the reasons why we like it is because we like to know we're not alone in it. And being acknowledged that it is tough, like, yeah, this is really tough. Just like acknowledging parents right now yeah, and and giving that support. Like, yeah, I get you. I see you. I hear you. I am here is so imperative and important. And that I think is the first step to starting to break down some barriers. And I know it sounds stupid and simple, but when you think about basic human needs and basic human psychology, what do we need? We need to we need to feel heard, right? We need to feel understood. Like that's a basic need. And part of the security we feel is feeling like someone actually hears us. So I think, and I think this is part of the answer, like, and I'm, I I don't know the full answer, but none of us are hearing each other. We're just saying you're wrong. You're wrong. You're stupid. We're making judgments about people's character because they think differently or feel differently. And guess what? Not to, not to be all nerdy here, but like that's a psychological bias, Right. A psychological bias is someone else thinks or does something differently than we would do. And we we blame it on their character. We mess up or we do something wrong. We blame it on the external environment. Right. <laughs> so we're you we're used to putting people's character down. But if we kind of heard and understood why people are thinking what they and what and what, what what they think and what they need, conversations can actually start to happen. Well, again, that takes effort. 
right? So we talk, we, we talk a lot about the difference between a victim mindset and a, you know, an accountability mindset or an accountable mindset. Victim mindsets, you know, exhibit behaviors like blaming others, personal yeah. excuses, those things. And, and if you think in terms of transformational leadership, right? And how do you move forward and become a, a you know, a true, true leader? First thing you have to do is acknowledge the reality. And that is often yeah. painful. And I mean, the real reality, you, you know, it's not about saying, oh, these other people are idiots or there's a problem or this. It's looking at me first. Yes. Right. And it's saying, okay, what's really, really going on here? That's hard. That is it's hard work. It's really hard. And it's really hard to look at how you might be contributing to the situation or how you might be closing down discussions. Right. It, based on things you might not even be aware of. Like, I will never forget. My brother once told me, you know, Nicole, do you realize when you're listening intently, you give the dirtiest look? I had no idea. Can you imagine a shrink giving you a dirty look while you're talking? <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know until I knew. You well, know? Isn't that why we're supposed to be on the couch facing the other direction so we can't see your facial expressions? <laughs> Those are Freudians, but not me. <laughs> but, I, you know, I didn't know. And like, so, you know, I set up a system now, like when I want team meetings, like one of my colleagues knows this about me and she'll ping me if I'm starting to be like, huh? <laughs> but like that knowledge is so golden and it's what we do with it. Uh, that's, that's everything. Right. Yeah, yeah it absolutely is. It absolutely is. Um, you know, so under this pressure, under this, 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 um, uh, you know, negativity that, that seems to be so pervasive and, you know, it goes in its ebbs and flows, but there's always some amount of it. I, I guess that's what'll keep people like you and me employed probably for the rest of our lives, right? <laughs> Thankfully. Um, but but setting all that aside, we, we also have this thing. So I, I always love how, how you know, uh, whether it's our media or others find ways to coin these great terms, but we have now mm-hmm. the great resignation, right? And in, in some regards, it's positive because people are going out and finding what they're passionate and they're moving on. But it is causing problems for organizations because it's harder yeah. to hire and harder to to lead. Tell me about tell me a little bit about what you think is going on there and triggering and and what do you see as some of the triggers that are causing people to make that decision? I mean, man, it's a good it's it's a really good question. Like I, I, again, I think watching other people do it definitely helps you do it. Yeah, I think. Um, Uh, I'm going to say something that might be really wrong, but I want to say it. (laughs) And I've struggled with this personally, but I think also like years and years of hearing, follow your passion, follow your passion, follow your passion. And I think that's sound advice. I think that's great advice, but I also think it needs to be tempered with follow your passion and ensure that you have this, that, that, that your, that your ground is stable and that you're not, you're doing it for the right reasons. And I think one of the things is like, you know, sometimes as humans, we're really impulsive with things. And sometimes we have to look and be like, wait a second, why am I not happy where I am? Because I don't like the work. And if I go somewhere else, is it, not, is it the work I'm not going to like? Is it my boss? Is it the environment? Is the culture? So I actually think in times like this, I think it's great. Go do, do what you want. But I do think some real deep thought needs to be put in to oneself as, as why am I unhappy? Is it me or is it my environment? And I, and I think that might be lacking in some of the thought process with the great resignation, with, with people making the jump. Because if you continue to be unhappy in the jobs, it wasn't the job. 
Right. It was something that you were bringing to the place. And it kind of goes back to that accountability thing and being accountable for kind of your own decisions and, 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 and looking, being self-aware, looking at what's, what's happening. But yes, it's putting a great strain on organizations. I think it's um, that the pendulum definitely has shifted. And I think organizations and leaders need to be really creative and thoughtful about like culture does matter. How you treat people does matter and who you decide to promote to lead people and to be the voice of your organization matters more than it always mattered. We're seeing that it matters more than ever. Yeah. And and how much that is now generational shift as well. So, you know, if you look at it and we'll, Back to labeling, we, we label, you know, all the generations, right? And the baby yes. boomers and then yes. Gen X and then now the millennials and now you yes. got the Gen Z. And there seems to be kind of a, a pendulum that goes back and forth. And, and I don't really believe in stereotyping each of the generations because I think you've got people in all different groups. Sure. But what I've seen, though, and I do think that this is an evolution that is, is healthy and good in the workplace, is there has been a movement in the last 20 to 30 years of people wanting a better culture, people wanting to be at a place where they belong. It's more, it is more than the job. It is. It is. And we know that like, once you reach like kind of that level of like, okay, I, my financially, my life is taken care of. Like after that point, like my needs are taken care of after that point, it's way more. It's not about the money. It's, it, it is more about the people, the culture, how it feels. And I, I will tell you, some of the most progressive companies that I work with have chosen to do culture assessment now yeah. so they can co-create a blueprint going forward. That's not just about the top up saying this is what we need, but it's like about a collective blueprint of this is what we're going to be going forward. And here's the immediate, short, mid and long term changes and goals that we want to work toward. It, 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 because it serves as like, again, going back to accountability, this kind of collective buy-in, like we are collectively creating this. Mm-hmm. And it's a great opportunity now to do this during COVID because things are different. Things are different. This is a great time to look at what makes us tick. Where are we good? What do we want? How do we want to show up? What do we want it to feel like? Um, and it doesn't have to all happen at once. It's just a blueprint with kind of the roadmap to get there. And so it's been, I actually think it's been, that has been my favorite work lately because it it has incredible payoff in the end. I could, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, the the foundational piece of me, when, when, when I started my consultancy 22 years ago, oh my gosh, I can't believe how long it's been, (laughs) um, you know, left, left the you know, left the, the corporate world and, um, focused primarily on, on the tactical aspects of, of better execution. You know, the, our whole premise was built on, um, no, no, no plan is any good if you don't execute it, right? You, you have to execute, but through the years, the, the basis of culture is so key to this and, and they really are a yin and yang. And, you know, we talk about a lot about, um, you know, building a core values based organization, having people who are truly aligned to it. There's no such thing as good or bad core values, but there is good or bad fit to the core values. And the more you have people who are aligned, you know, getting to that point. And this, this is for real. Yeah. Yet now we've had another shift, right? So if you think about it and, and, you know, I, I argue COVID's not all that bad. We have learned to work virtually. Mm-hmm. Organizations now, and, and I think organizations that are really stepping up, there, there are some that are kind of going back to everybody's got to be in the office. And I can understand that to some degree. They, they think that's the basis of, of their culture. 
But others have discovered now, well, I, I don't have to limit my hiring pool to my city. Right. Right. I can have people right. from anywhere in the world. Exactly. That creates a different hurdle for culture, though. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, so, so I'd like to explore, well, we got another couple minutes, but, but I want to keep the exploration going as to how are, how are you helping? What are you discovering and how are you helping organizations that are having a larger and larger virtual workforce still maintain the culture that they want to map out, that they, that they want to have? Well, I, 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 again, I think it, I, it goes beyond an employee engagement survey. I'll tell you that <laughs> because I think people mistake that for, oh, we're looking at our culture. Part of mapping it out is being able is, is, is being able to, again, going back to that hearing people talk to people and hear people and read between the lines of what people are asking because as we move to a virtual world, and even if we're not in a virtual world, but like you said, people can work from anywhere now. It's understanding It's understanding what people value most. It's understanding what's important to people most. And what's important to you might be different than what's important to me. And we all know that. Sure. But if I get that, and if I understand that, I can work to that. A culture, there's, there's nothing in our bodies that's static or, you know, or stays still. Everything's dynamic. And it's people that make up organizations. That means the organization has to be dynamic and constantly shifting and moving and understanding what what people want. I mean, you can tell if someone's unhappy and disengaged. Mm-hmm. If you open up your eyes and actually look, you can you can tell. But I think part of this is about like the quantitative and qualitative and putting it together uh, and really figuring out kind of where are we now? Like I'm saying, creating that cultural blueprint, right. but everyone having a hand in it. Right, right. Okay, well, I want to explore that some more, but we're up on our next break. So um, again, everybody stay tuned. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes and we're going to continue this conversation on culture in these times. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Nexecute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. Take the next step and give us a call for a free consultation with your host, Chris Elias. 888-378-8808. That's 888-378-8808. Keep the conversation going. Follow your host on Instagram at Chris Elias Official and on Facebook and Twitter at The Chris Elias to discuss your own business transformations and get real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. See you there. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture, co-written by your host, Chris Elias. Make your company smarter, faster, and stronger with real-world advice on culture, Leadership and Execution. The Execution Culture, available now on Amazon. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back one last time with Nicole. Uh, so, Nicole, just before we went to the break, we were really getting into some good stuff on, on culture, especially in this virtual world. Um, are there are there maybe some best practices? So I, I still believe that hiring the right people, no matter where they are, becomes very, very important. Um, you know, the old days we hired for skills. And now yeah. one of the things we try to preach is hiring for, for values and hiring for culture fit. Is if they've got the minimum intelligence, they'll learn the skills. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, the bottom line, it's, it's, you, you can develop people. You can develop people and people really do learn on the job. Even if they come in with the skills, it might not be the, you know, the, the, the skill like at the level that you're looking for or like the version of the skill you're looking for that can be developed and trained personality fit, culture fit, team fit, how a person shows up, their style, all of that, their values, all of that, you know, you can't train and develop. <laughs> so, so in these times when unemployment is so low and, and the market is so competitive and people need to get jobs filled how do you coach the company when, when they're finding people that have the skills, they're not a good fit culturally. They know what they're not a good fit, but they need the job done. How, right. do, you, how do you coach somebody through that? Man, yeah, that, that desperate hire. Yes. Feel. And I've been there. I've been there. And to be honest with you, Chris, like I, I, I almost brought one of my companies down because of just that. So I get that and I get the kind of urgency of hiring but I think part of it is slowing your roll and figuring out like, <laughs> okay, what, what is actually, what is the cost? What is the cost and what is the potential cost? And if you've been in a hiring position before, you know, you know what the costs are for hiring incorrectly um, and the damage that it can cost. So, you know, I'm also a fan when it's possible of, of trialing people out mm-hmm. when it's possible. And that like kind of probationary period, like let's trial each other out to see if this is a good fit. I'm a fan of that, uh, especially if it's a critical role. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. And the other, the other thing that we often recommend is a proactive hiring approach. Meaning even if you don't have any open positions, always be hiring. Mm-hmm. People say, well, we don't have the budget for it. Well, if you find somebody, it takes, it takes longer. Yep. It takes longer to find somebody who's a cultural fit for your organization, and you need to be looking. If you find somebody who's a cultural fit, hire that person, even if it means you let somebody else go. Go to the bottom of the totem pole. Find the yep. person who doesn't have the right behaviors. Get them out of your organization. Because yep. some, you know, even the best systems for identifying if somebody's a good cultural fit, you're going to make mistakes. Not everybody's going to be a great fit for your organization, and we can't tolerate the behaviors that are, that are counter to our culture. Right. And I think we, I, I, you know, I, I think we all, not all, but I, I, I think there's a tendency to tolerate toxicity yeah. uh, or to overlook bad behavior because of desperation. But the reality is that we all know we've been on teams with a toxic person. We've been on teams where it's not the right culture fit and it brings everyone else's productivity down. I mean, I, we know this, we know this, we've seen it, but it's still is hard. And I think one of the reasons why it's so hard is our resistance to change and especially our resistance to change when it's our own decision or it's our own hire. And that makes it even harder. Well, and, and they, um, 
what I've seen is you you put too much worth or value on what you perceive their performance to be. And I say perceived performance because if you really get into it, you find the performance not is not always there. Had a, had a case where we had a guy who was a horrible cultural fit in an organization, should have been gone years ago, and um, and you know, tried and tried and tried. And finally the guy ups and quits causes a huge disruption. And then they Mm -hmm. find out he wasn't getting any of his work done. Mm -hmm. I mean, and and I've seen that story multiple times and it's like, and and you put all these systems around or even worse, you build systems to compensate for this person. And then you start losing your good people because they get fed up with it. Uh, Yeah. But, but I will say, I think it's easy as a, I think it's easy to, not easy, but it's easy for us as consultants to yeah. say, like, don't do this. Like we get it. But when you're in the position, my, my first company, um, I, w- when I was transitioning out of clinical and forensic work into organizational psych work, I was traveling a lot mm-hmm. and, you know, for, for my clients and I had to hire an office manager and I was desperate because I was doing all the office management. When you do office management in a medical practice, psychology practice, you know, you're you're dealing with insurance, you're dealing with people when they're very vulnerable coming in for therapy. It's, it's an important job. And, um, I was desperate and had a bad feeling, but I ignored it. And I hired this young woman, she was 28 and she was like, and it was the same thing. She's like, I don't know how to do office management, but I want to be a psychologist. And I look, I'm a coach. I can, I could train her on the skill, but I didn't spend time thinking of culture fit. And the culture at that point was amazing. It was all people I loved. We loved each other. We were friends and we'd built this thing together. Anyway, she was screwing up constantly and um, pretty obnoxious, just kind of obnoxious personality. And it, it was a nightmare. I was spending three times the amount of time trying to fix insurance stuff. And if you've ever called an insurance company, you know what a nightmare that oh, is. Yeah. It, it was just bad. And I was losing it. I was all over the place. The people that I love, the people that work there, they were getting miserable. It literally, the, it was like strangling the culture of my company that I had worked so hard to build with the people there. And it wasn't until she resigned. I didn't even fire her. I didn't even fire her. It wasn't until she resigned a year and three months later that I finally was able to be like, oh my God, what did I just do? I mean, everything was fine. It's built back up. I, I actually recently exited the company. It was fine. But the lessons learned from that and, and, and also the, the empathy I developed from that with other, for, other, for other people I consult with of, of how hard it is to actually step out from your own kind of bad decisions mm-hmm. or bad hires and see the bigger picture and to be self-aware of how your damaging thing is so difficult it is so difficult. Now, having gone through that going forward, I see when I'm entering the traps of yeah. being too overwhelmed, that I'm not thinking straight or, or being stuck in, and resistant to change or being in like a fixed mindset. I see it now. Doesn't mean I don't end up there sometimes, but I see it. But it is so hard. It is so hard when you're desperate to make any good decisions. And I think that's why, like at least my rule of thumb, I don't hire alone anymore. Yeah, I will not hire alone. And I always suggest that to, to people that I work with, like, let it be a committee that is making a decision, especially on important roles, because we're not, we don't always know what we don't know. And a lot of times we don't know what's going on inside until we know. 
Well, that extra perspective, and again, trying to eliminate some of the emotion from the decision. I mean, I've often said, if you if you instead look at it, look at hiring as a disqualification process as opposed to a qualification process. Yes. Meaning, like like as you interview them, try to disqualify them. Actually, try because if you get yes. to the end and you can't disqualify them, then they're, then then there's a good chance they're a good fit. Yes, but right now, again. I mean, I'm watching, I'm watching clients and I, they asked me to sit in on this one interview because they wanted my take on it. And we, we got, got done and they said, what did you think? I said, you spent the whole time selling this guy and why he should work for you. You, you spent almost no energy trying to determine whether he's a good fit. And I'm going to tell you, he's not a good fit because he doesn't meet any of these core values. The few questions I asked, they weren't there. Oh, oh. and, and it is, it's this emotional, this, this piece of, we've got to get the role filled. It's, it's such an incredible pressure. You know, I've often said that, that, you know, one thing I've never heard a leader say is I wish I didn't fire that person. Right. I mean, I've, ne- I've never heard that when they finally fire somebody, I've never heard that, but you know what I hear a hundred percent of the time? Should have done it sooner. Should have done it sooner. Should have done it sooner. Thousand percent. Mm-hmm. So I mean, yeah. you know, I find often in our roles and and, and you know is, is is try to leverage those old learnings, you know, and 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 yes. maybe we can get there quicker. But it is it is really hard in today's times. It's really hard, and there's a lot of like, there's just a lot of um, th- those quick, instant, automatic thoughts and rationalizations that we have in our brains. Like it's pretty amazing. <laughs> how much our brains trick us and lie to us, you know, but we can have a little bit more control (laughs) over, you know, if we start thinking about how we think and thinking about like, again, the larger picture and getting other people to help us think it it really can make a difference, but it's hard. So hard. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And so, okay. So I want to shift gears because I don't want to run out of time without asking you a couple, a couple of these other things, you know? um, So, I mean, you've got equilibrium leadership, is is the like the consulting practices I would look exactly. at it, right? Exactly. You mm-hmm. also have this thing called Hey Kiddo. I do. Yeah, and and <laughs> and I have to tell you, I don't know if any you know for anybody who's got kids out there. I thought I, I think the website's really cool. I was looking at a lot of stuff, and my Thank kids you. are adults now, and I think I could still apply some of this. But, um, <clears throat> you know, this this whole concept you had of like social uh, emotional intelligence. Um, Tell yeah. me a little bit about that. Our social emotional skill is how you put it. I think that this is really important. And, and obviously to teach our kids at a young age is great, but I think as adults, we need some of this also. We do. We do. I mean, the reason why I built this, I've been wanting to do this for years. I mean, I told you like when we first started the backstory of my parents and, you know, it, it, this is very dear and near, near and dear to my heart because they, like I said, they were school teachers in the South Bronx and they would go in early to eat, you know, breakfast with the kids. So the kids would have someone to talk to. And they were really very much about building social, emotional and leadership skills. And my brother and I, and um, they passed away when, when we were young and look, being doing the work I do, I, I my life could have gone a very different path easily. I sure. can see it now. It didn't though. It didn't. My life turned out great. And I, 1000% attribute it to attribute it to their work and how, and how much they built those skills in us and resilience and all of that good stuff. But it shouldn't be based on like the cards on who you get. You know, I, I just believe it's a right for every kid. And I noticed this doing the work, you know, having my clinical hat on and seeing what's happened with, uh, you know, children's mental health way before COVID and how it was escalating the problems and also wearing my organizational psych hat and, and hearing what leaders complain about with young professionals, you know, all at, at the end of the day, it comes down to coping skills. And if we can build them earlier in kids, 
kind of when they're cognitively ready, it can become second nature, just like tying your shoe or putting on your pants or whatever it might be. And I think, you know, our goal is to equip the people that help kids to be in better control of children's mental, social, and emotional health. Um, Because for those around, like if we're all leaking out all over the place, kids model us. Um, So yeah, my goal in life is building these skills across a across a lifespan. It doesn't matter if you're if you're just born to if you're on your deathbed. It's something that we're doing until the day we die. And how we show up is really important, and how we help others is really important. So, hey, kiddo is about that. It is, and you know one of the things that 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 you highlight, and you and you just said it just a moment ago. It is about a lifelong journey. We never really stop learning these skills. And right. um, you yourself has said, you know, it seems as though you always are picking one or two things to work on. For for yourself. So what are you working on for yourself uh, right now? Oh man, I am working on, <laughs> I'm working on patience. I have a toddler at home <laughs> um, whose daycare closes a lot. So I'm working on patience. Um, I also for myself, and that, and that's a lifelong thing. I'm not great with patience. It's, it's something that I always am very intentional about because the reality is, is when I'm impatient, that's what people remember. Yeah. Not that I'm nice and compassionate and empathetic. Um, so I'm working on that. I'm also, I am also working on stress management. That has been something that has always been challenging. And sometimes I let stress get the best of me um, and kind of impact my thinking. And, and that is something I've really kind of been actively, actively working on. Um, so those Excellent. are two things. And they probably go hand in hand. I, I could stand a little less oh, yeah. impatience myself. Um, so th- those are good ones. So, um, you know, before we wrap, I want to make sure that, that our audience, you know, if they want to, they want to go a little bit further. Hey, kiddo, if, if you've got yeah. kids, is H-E-Y hyphen or dash, H-E-Y dash K-I-D-D-O dot com. And you've, yes. got a, you've got a number of people that work in that organization. You've got a, mm-hmm. you know, access to a lot. But there's also, you, you have um, some kind of like, I would describe as online or automated help. I mean, there's... You know, text it's a, it's a piece things. of technology. Yeah, it's an yeah. app. We're building an app, but it's a it's a text based coaching, and then it's a full curriculum. Um, so, and then we have a we just recently won a National Science Foundation uh, grant. So we're building a, a smart app. Um, but Excellent. we have a we have a text based coaching subscription and a full up social emotional curriculum. And then you know, I don't know if I would call it the primary, but the but but you mm-hmm. know, your your other business is Equilibria Leadership, which is about. Um, you know, which is about going in, helping with cultures, all that stuff, you know, and yes. which obviously is near and dear to my heart. Um, could you spell that one? I'm not going to take yes. a shot at spelling that one for our audience. <laughs> yes. Sometimes I mess it up too. It's E-Q-U-I-L-I-B-R-I-A leadership.com. So equilibria leadership.com. Yes. As in multiple yes. equilibrium. Well, yes, yes. I thought I made up the name, but it means multiple equilibriums. I did not, and I don't, and we'll never know what multiple equilibriums means. Well, that's excellent. Well, you know, Nicole, we are at the end of our time, and I this has been such a fun conversation. I'm so glad so that, that that you are you were able to join us today, and um, you know, everybody, check her out. Check out her websites. Um, and you know, if uh, if you ever need anything. Um, you can you can always contact me through our, our um, listener site, and I'll connect you with, with Nicole as well. Nic- Nicole, thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. Excellent. And, um, you know, everyone, as always, stay tuned. We've got more great episodes coming. Until next time, hope you have a great life. Take care. 
thank you for joining Chris Elias for this week's edition of Transformative Experts. We hope you'll tune in again next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And catch our weekly replay on the Voice America Influencers Channel, Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a good week.